0: Your word. Uh, thanks that you speak to us through your word. Father, please help us now as we uh, come to consider this word from the Old Testament. Uh, we thank you for the promises that uh, you've given us there. Uh, and Father, we pray that uh, through it we'll be able to see our Lord Jesus more clearly. Uh, and therefore, love him more uh, and serve him better. And we pray this Lord in his name. Amen. You may recall from uh, last week that uh, there are four passages in the book of Isaiah which we call the Servant Songs. Uh, And we're looking at those four Servant Songs over the next four weeks uh, in our our sermon series here. These passages are passages which speak of someone whom Isaiah calls the Servant of the Lord. And the passage we're looking at today is the second of these Servant Songs. The interesting about this one is that Isaiah puts the words of the passage into the mouth of the servant himself. And so, it's like the servant is declaring the message that we're reading today. But notice who the servant is speaking to. Who's the audience that the servant is giving his message to? 49, verse 1. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. See, the servant is speaking to the nations of the world. He's speaking to the places far, far away. Uh, the islands, really, really far islands like England, places like that. You know? <laughs> the message he's bringing is for them. It's for people a long way from Israel, people in Babylon, in Persia, people in Greece, in Rome, people in Europe, in Africa, in America, in Australia, in India, in China, in the Middle East, and even in Malaysia. And the servant says, "All oh, you people far off, listen." Listen to me because I have something very, very important to say. And the servant says two main things. The first of the things is from the second half of verse 1, and it goes down to the end of verse 4. And it's it's, it's like he's giving it by way of background. He's introducing himself to the nations, describing what he's like or who he is as a person. And then, uh, verse 5 onwards, that's the actual message that he wants to give them. What he wants to tell them. And it's about his mission. It's about his work. So going back to that first thing. So we've got the uh, the person of the servant and the purpose of the servant. In the person of the servant, the first thing you see is that the servant's ministry begins at God's initiative. While he was still in his mother's womb, God named his servant. So it's not as if the servant was an ordinary person who was, you know, just... Or nation that became so clever, or or moral, or or worked so hard that that it, or or they, you know, grew up into becoming the servant. No, no, It it was God's initiative from the first place. It's God's choice. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, He has made mention of my name. And when the Lord made this servant were, the servants were powerful and yet he hid the servant verse 2 he made my mouth like a sharpened sword in the shadow of his hand he hid me he made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver the the servant's mouth was like a sharpened sword that means his words were very powerful that's how he would conquer his enemies by, by his word but at this stage he was still hidden in the palm of God ready to be revealed at the right time It's also like a a polished arrow. Like an arrow that's rubbed free from from any irregularities which would make its flight inaccurate. So it's a powerful weapon. But hidden in God's quiver, that that holder for the arrow, the archer wears, ready to be shot at the right time. And then the servant says that God gave him a name. Verse 3. He said to me, you are my servant Israel. In whom I will display my splendor. So the servant was called Israel. Israel. Now, Israel was a nation that, that God had uh, rescued from slavery in Egypt and, and brought to the promised land. And they were the ones who were meant to show the greatness of God to the world around them. But instead, they had become like the world around them, uh, full of idolatry and injustice. And God was about to punish them by sending them into exile and yet the servant is Israel that's a bit surprising isn't it although we shouldn't really be surprised because if we look back at chapter 44 which is between the two uh, between last week's reading and this week's reading uh, the first couple of verses of chapter 44 it says but now listen O Jacob my servant Israel whom I have chosen this is what the Lord says who made you, who formed you in the womb who, and who helped you, do not be afraid O Jacob my servant to in whom I have chosen. You see, the servant's been identified already as Israel. But could this nation, Israel, really be the servant? Could they, as a nation now, under judgment, collectively be the one in whom, that we, we saw last week, would, would bring justice to all the nations? God would display his splendor through the servant. God would be glorified through the servant. And the servant seems to be Israel, the nation that failed him. Doesn't look terribly promising, doesn't it? Yes, that's what we've got here. God names his servant Israel. But the next thing we see about the servant is that is that his ministry seems to be a failure. It's very discouraging. Have a look at verse four. But I said, I laboured to no purpose. I spent my strength in vain and for nothing. the servant had worked really hard but everything came crashing down around him all his efforts to serve came to knock he seemed and felt like a total failure and yet he wasn't because true success is not gauged by outward means, is it? it's God who decides what's worthwhile and what's not he's the one who rewards those who do right in his eyes and, and so the servant was still confident Uh, the end of verse 4. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. Incidentally, sometimes things are like that with us too, aren't they? What we view as successful from a worldly point of view may or may not be successful as far as God is concerned. Uh, if we run a, a moderately profitable business based on God's moral law, it's It's far more successful in God's eyes than a highly profitable business, which is corrupt, isn't it? A small church that is faithfully hearing and obeying the word of God, that's far more successful in God's eyes than a church ten times the size, which just thrives on entertainment. We can't necessarily tell if someone's work is under God's blessing or not by just looking at the outside results. And the same was true of Jesus. I mean, when Jesus died, it looked like a total failure. He had the crowds before, and it looks like he just wasted the opportunity with them. Uh, when he was arrested and given a sham trial, he was, he was crucified, when he was lifted up to die, and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It looked like he was a failure. It looked like all his work was in vain, that his strength was spent for nothing. And yet he trusted that God would vindicate him in the end. That God would raise him from the dead. And would give him the kingdom that he deserved. And the servant might have looked like a failure but he trusted that God would vindicate him and reward him in the end. Now all this is still background to the main point of the servant song. Remember the servant song. The servant is he's speaking to the nations. Now he's told them that he's called Israel that he's powerfully equipped to speak the word, but his, his greatness is hidden. And his ministry seems a failure, but he's confident of being eternally rewarded anyway. And now the servant comes to say, tell the nations what God has said to him in verses 6 and 7. He starts by saying it in verse 5, and he says, and now the Lord says, and then, but he can't go on until it's explained something else, you see. So, so he, he will go on in the beginning of verse 6. He says... But there's one more thing he needs to say before he can say what the Lord says. And so in verse 5, he says, He will me in the womb to be his servant. We, we knew that already. But why did he do that? We're just about to be told why God formed him. His, what is his, his mission, his purpose, his assignment? And it's to bring Jacob back to himself and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored, he says, in the eyes of the Lord. And God has become my strength. Now, that's a bit of a shock, isn't it? The sermon's job is to bring Jacob back to himself, to gather Israel to himself. But the, the, the primary purpose of the sermon is to bring Israel back to God, to bring Jacob, that is another name for Israel, back to, to Yahweh, their the, the God and their fathers. But wasn't he Israel? His job is to make God's people who had rejected God and been rejected by God made God's people once again. But how can he do that? If he is Israel how can he restore Israel? See somehow or other this servant is Israel and yet his job is to restore Israel. It doesn't make sense. At this stage just hold that thought there. So what do we know about the servant now? is Israel and he's an individual who restores Israel at the same time. He's someone chosen by God? Powerfully equipped yet human, whose ministry seems a failure but is confident of being eternally rewarded? And now we come to the climax of the passage. Here's what it is. The servant wants the nations to know. And what he wants them to know is that God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, has expanded his job description. Remember, his first task was to restore Israel. Now, for anyone in the Old Testament times, this would be a humongous task, to bring Israel back to God, to make them once again God's people and God's place under God's blessing and rule. But, that was too minor a thing for so great a servant. So God says to him in verse 6, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. God's plans for the servant would involve not just Israel, but the whole world. He's not just bringing Israel back to being God's people in God's place under God's blessing and rule. He's, he's doing it for the world. That's why the servant is addressing the nations in this song. He's, he's telling them that his job description is, is an extended one. He's not just Israel restoring Israel, but being a light for the Gentiles, people who were never part of God's people in the first place. He's bringing salvation to the Jewish people. Yes. And he's bringing salvation to the ends of the earth. The servant of God in Isaiah is God's servant for the world. Because you see, friends, it's not just Israel who needed to be restored. We all did. Israel's plight was just a, just a picture of the, of the greater plight of all humanity. Israel had rebelled against God and was therefore under his judgment. But all humanity has rebelled against God. And is therefore under his judgment. And so the sin of Israel against God is is only a subset of the greater human sin against our maker. Their exile from the land that God had given them. The land of God's blessing and rule. That was just a shadow of the greater exile. The exile of humanity from the Garden of Eden. The place where we all once enjoyed God's blessing and rule. In perfect harmony with each other and with him and the world around The fact that they were far from God pictured a bigger reality that all of us are far from God. Their need to be regathered and restored was a picture of the need of the greater humanity's restoration. being regathered, brought back under God and His King. And the servant of the Lord wants the nations even the nations far far away to know that He is the one who is going to do it. He is the one chosen by God who will bring humanity back to himself. He will be a light for the Gentiles. God's salvation for the ends of the earth. Keeping your finger in Isaiah 49 or perhaps a bit of paper would be easier. Um, Flick with me now to Luke chapter 2 our New Testament reading. Luke chapter 2 it's on page uh, 725 Jesus had just been born 8 days beforehand Joseph and Mary took him to the temple in accordance with the law of Moses and there in the temple verse 25 was a man called Simeon who was righteous and devout who was waiting for the consolation of Israel he was waiting for the comfort of Israel. The, uh, when Isaiah's words from Isaiah 40 would come true, which where it, where it says, "Comfort, comfort, my people," says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim that a hard service has been has been paid for. Her sin has been paid for. There we go, got it. That she is received from the Lord's hand, double for all her sins. You know, the announcement of of the end of the exile. That's what they were waiting for. You see, Israel. In the time of Jesus' birth was physically back in the land, but but spiritually she was still away from God, she was still an exile. Her experience of redemption was was already, but not yet. And so righteous and devout people like Simeon were still waiting, waiting patiently for God's promises in the Old Testament, God's promises in Isaiah to be fulfilled. They didn't accuse God of faking it or denying his prophets, they just they were waiting. And Simeon waited with particular expectancy because, of verse 26, says it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so moved by the Spirit, Simeon went to the temple courts one day and who should he meet but Joseph and Mary and the little baby Jesus. And Simeon cradled that baby in his arms and what a stirring experience that must have been. Because Simeon knew that all the hopes and dreams of not only himself, but but Israel. In fact, not only Israel, but the hopes and dreams of the the whole world were were wrapped up in this little child. And he says in verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. And the glory of your people Israel. Simeon would die happy. Because he knew he had seen. The servant. Of Isaiah 49. But remember how. The servant was both an individual. And Israel? And we couldn't figure it out? Well, Jesus Christ, the Son of Abraham, he is the true Israelite. You see, he's the genuine Israelite, the real one, the only Israelite who truly kept God's covenant. Everything that Israel was meant to be, Jesus was. In fact, in his very self, he, he, he recapitulated the experience of the Israel who failed. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Matthew quotes. He was baptized in the Jordan River when he started his ministry, like Israel went through the water of the Red Sea. And he came out of the water, and what did he do? He was tempted in the desert for 40 days, just like Israel was tempted in the desert for 40 years. Only he stood firm when Israel sinned. He was the true remnant of Israel, the truly faithful Israel all came unto him and so the true Israel was restored in him and those who are his those who trust him who belong to him they are part of this new Israel as well initially these were all Jews we have been looking in the book of Acts and we have seen how uh, Israel began to to be restored in Christ and his uh, his followers around him in those first chapters of Acts and and later on, the nations would come in as well as the gospel goes out to Judea, Samaria And to the ends of the earth. And those who trust in Jesus now are the true Israel. Whether we're physically Jews or not. And Israel is restored. Salvation goes out to the Gentiles. And, and, And the servant, through the servant who is both Israel. And the one who restores Israel. Just coming back to Isaiah 49. At this stage of Isaiah's prophecy, we we haven't been told how the servant will do this. We saw last week that it won't be by violence or revolution, but we're still in suspense as to how he's going to accomplish it. We're not actually going to be revealed that in Isaiah until we get to the fourth servant song in Isaiah 53. But we get a little hint of it uh, in verse 7. There in the first half of verse 7, we see that, that he was despised, the servant would be despised and abhorred by the nation. He'll be rejected by his people. And yet later in the second half of the verse, we see that uh, kings will see you and rise up, princes will see you and and bow down. He'll be be worshipped by the rulers of the nations. Now, if we only had the Old Testament, we, we still wouldn't know how this would happen, would we? But friends, we have seen this come true in Jesus. He was indeed despised and rejected by his own people. He was killed, crucified on the cross when he died to bear our sins the, the punishment that we deserve he died to take our place so those who trust in him can be part of that, of that kingdom that he's restoring and, and, and be with him forever and then he rose again has ascended to the heaven as the exalted Lord the king of the kingdom the king of kings and he will come back to judge the world and on that day even if not before kings and princes will bow to him In fact, every knee shall bow. And every tongue confess that he is Lord. And you see, friends, that's what this passage is about. Jesus Christ, the servant, is speaking in this passage to people far away, people like you and me, and our friends and our neighbours. And he says, listen, I am the one who has chosen to bring you salvation. Even as I walked this earth, my glory was hidden, yet my word was powerful. My ministry seemed a failure, yet I was vindicated at the end. I came for the Jews, yes. My earthly ministry was targeted at the lost sheep of Israel. But now my ministry is no longer limited to the Jews. It's been expanded because I've come to save you as well. I'm a light for the nations. It's through me that the people from the ends of the earth will be restored to God's kingdom. I am the one who will once again bring humanity under God's blessing and rule. Jesus saves. And he wants the nations to know this. And so friends, this message of the servant is a message that must go out. It must be told to people in every tribe, every nation, Every community, every race, every background. People in Babylon, people in Persia, people in Greece, people in Rome, people in Europe, people in Africa, people in America, and Australia, and India, and China, in the Middle East, and even in Malaysia. The ends of the earth must be told that Jesus is the servant, and that Jesus is the saviour of the world. Let's pray. Our oh Father, we thank you that you have indeed sent your servant, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he has come to restore Israel to himself, but not only Israel. All people, from every tribe and language. To restore to himself. To bring into his kingdom. Bring under your, your blessing and rule. And Father we thank you that uh, that, God, that the gospel message of his salvation has reached even us. And we thank you for, for giving us the faith to believe in him. To trust him and so come into his kingdom. Oh Father we pray um, that uh, you would enable us Uh, together with the rest of your people, to to continue his servant work of bringing this message to the ends of the earth. Our Father, we pray that in your mercy uh, and your kindness, unworthy as we are, uh, you will grant us a part in uh, in that salvation going out. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.